So let me invite you to go back with me to the 21st chapter of John, where Jesus uses the term, follow me. And as I thought about that this week, pursuit is a far more vigorous, emotional word. Not that I am trying to change Jesus' words, but you know, I, I told Dean, I always try to think of an airplane illustration, that the guys on transient alert on the military bases that have a little truck that says, follow me, they don't go very fast, you know, so the plane can catch up with them and they'll park them somewhere on the military installation. But Jesus tells Peter uh, to follow me. So and actually he will say it in a different way. He'll say, you follow me. So pick up with me uh, at verse 20. And I think in the, Dan, I probably didn't, I changed it on you. We're going to go to verse 23, so you may just have to listen to me on the last verse or so. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. There's discussion right there with commentators. Everybody likes to interject because you hang on every word. Does that mean that John didn't have to be told to follow Jesus? I mean, there's a well way to create some rivalry that John was already following Jesus. And Peter had to be told, but maybe they were just walking. Jesus, the one who Jesus loved. And then in parentheses, so you understand who the one Jesus loved is, this is the one who he leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who is going to betray you? And if you'll remember, I believe he does that because Peter has asked him to ask Jesus. So rather than seeing too much rivalry right here, you're trying to understand who these two men are and how close they were to Jesus. When Peter saw him, I'm at verse 21, when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? I mean, it's almost like you, 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 you told me all these things. Well, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread amongst the brothers that the disciple would not die. So on Wednesday nights, we're on 1 Thessalonians. And in, first, in the church that Paul is writing to in Thessalonica, they were known for, is there music playing or just, am I getting that close to glory? <laughs> I got bad hearing, but I thought I heard music. Okay. Um, you know, there, there's... They were in such a mindset in Thessalonica. People were sitting on the hillside. They weren't going to work. They were waiting for Jesus to come back. And there was a discussion that John would not die until Jesus came back. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive, and don't miss this next point, until I return, what is that to you? Would you pray with me, please, again? Father, this has been an exciting day, and it's an exciting time to serve you because um, the world is obviously not in pursuit of you. Many churches have seemed to have lost the enthusiasm, the total abandonment for the ways of the world to pursue you, so we often find ourselves in that same group. Help us to be passionate to pursue you, to always be in pursuit of the one who 
is really not running away from us, the one who wants to have a relationship with us. Teach us from these words that we have in store this day. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Those of you who know that I love videos and I haven't used a video in a Sunday service in probably five or six weeks, here's one more. I know that's a public service announcement, but you could tie it in so easy to say taking your eyes off of Jesus will lead you on a path of destruction. And that's our first point for today. Keep your eyes on the road. Peter had had the same problem before, keeping his eyes on Jesus. And as I have told you throughout this study of the Gospel of John, I find something in each of the disciples that one time or another I can relate to. And I too, as you will be honest with yourself, have probably had times when you weren't always keeping your eyes on Jesus. If you remember, it's in uh, Matthew 14 that Jesus appears to the disciples in the midst of a stormy time. They're on the boat. Jesus is walking on the water. Peter sees him, thinks it's a ghost. That's what everybody says. And Jesus says, hey, it's me, it's I, and Peter makes a statement, well, if it's really you, command me to get out of the boat, and I'll walk to you. And of course, he does. He gets out of the boat, and he walks to Jesus. And as I read this in different translations this week, because that's what the immediately uh, illustration came, uh, let me see it in something else than what I read from. One translation said, he walked to Jesus. In other words, he is right to Jesus, just like he's right with Jesus here on this beach that day in John 21. And instead of keeping his eyes on Jesus, he goes to look at other things. Here he looks at the water, he sees the wind, and he quickly begins to sink. And of course you know that Jesus reaches out, so it shows the proximity that Jesus is to him and lifts him up and saves him in the midst of his fearful drowning. Well, Jesus is walking with Peter. And as I say, keep your eyes on the road. If you remember John 14, verse 6, is it not? I am the way, which is the Greek word they translate way for road. I am the road. Keep your eyes on the road. He wants you to know something about him. And how you do that is getting to know him in this daily relationship. But here, 
Peter is more concerned about knowing about John over here, this beloved one. What about him? And you can imagine the questions that are going through his mind. He's just been told earlier, you know, he got, he got reinstated. He got, if you want to say forgiven, recommissioned, however you want to phrase that. With three denials, he has had three public professions of his love and three statements that Jesus says, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, pastor my, my sheep. He's basically saying, take care of my children and lead them. And then he goes and gives him a little bit of a snapshot that you're going to die. It's not going to be a, a great death. So, of course, Peter's just heard all this about him, and he looks at Jesus and sees John over there. Well, well what about him? You know, if i got to be taking care of all your kids, what's he going to do? If I'm going to have a terrible death, how's he going to die? And Jesus kind of gives him a tort reply. It's none of your business. He doesn't say it in so many words, but it's up to Jesus what he chooses to do. And he says, keep your eyes on the road. If you are a Blue Bloods fan, which my wife is addicted, you know addictions run and, and hurt the other people. So now I watch a lot of Blue Bloods too. And Frank Reagan, I love Tom Selleck and Magnum. Yeah, I go way back. But he always has this picture of Bush president on the wall. Which one? Teddy. Yeah, Teddy. Bully, bully. And Teddy is quoted or, or given the credit for saying that comparison is the thief of joy. Peter has just been reinstated. He's just been told that he has been entrusted with God's children to love on them carefully. Or they got something that you really wanted but you didn't get. And up until that point, you were very happy with the gift you had received. But when you started comparing yourself to somebody else, you have robbed yourself of your own joy. Don't take your eyes off the road. A Boston area boy about four years ago called in his father to, on a 911 call. And I have it written down. It made the papers uh, and having spent a year in Boston, Boston Herald, Boston Globe, they made a big deal out of it. Uh, I don't know this particular area of Boston because every area has got a little bit different. Um, but the 911 operator says, well, the reason he did it, I need to tell you that, dad ran a red light. So he calls, and, and actually he didn't run the red light. He stopped at a red light and made a right-hand turn on red, which most states, most places, that's allowed unless it's prohibited. And here's the call. It goes like this. 911, this line, this line is being recorded. What's your emergency? Well, Robbie says, well, um, um, my dad went past a red light, and it was in the brand-new car, my mom's car. I thought, now we got to, there's where it is. He ran a red light in mom's car. And the dispatcher says, yep. And with that, the dad got on the phone and says, I, I, you know, I, and he said, I, I'm panicking now, but it, it was legal et cetera, et cetera, and goes on the conversation. And here's what the paper said. It ended up with no, uh, no citations, just smiles. But uh, the Boston Globe said, keep your eyes on the road for you never know what the backseat driver might do. And I tell you that as Christians, keep your eyes on our road, the way, because others are always watching how you relate to him. And if you have taken your eyes off of Jesus... They will see that in you.
The writer of Hebrews in the 12th chapter, verse 2, says, Fix your eyes on Jesus. This morning, you need to ask yourself, what are my eyes fixed on? I could build a list, and I could go down all the evil things and the good things that we fix our eyes on. But when we do that, we've kept our eyes off of the road of Jesus. I've tried to give you little inserts along the way because um, the next guy is going to be different than me. I don't have a twin, and even if I did, the twin wouldn't do the same things I do. The next person, and I just wrote a few of them, he's going to look different, he's going to sound different, he's going to preach different, but as long as he has his eyes on Jesus, this church will thrive. You are in the right place to grow the kingdom of God if you keep your eyes on the road. Second, keep your hands on the wheel. Now, <clears throat> did you notice Steve McQueen in his Mustang? Was he driving like some of you, get, you know, you got your girlfriend, you know, you know, or, or you ever give one of those? How, how many of you are one-handed drivers? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> I've ridden with you. <laughs> and he's ridden with me, yeah, yeah. Uh, but Steve McQueen, when he's driving hard and in hard pursuit, he's got both hands, and both hands are working. I mean, like he's the sign language. I mean, they're going everywhere. You know, he, he is desperately trying to catch that other car. Jesus tells Peter, don't worry about John. What is it to you? Just keep your hands on the wheel and your eyes on the road. The National Highway and Traffic Safety Administration says it's now the right position is 9 and 3. I believe when I learned... It was either 10 and 2 or maybe 10 and 4. There was something weird, I thought, for a while. And granted, if you've ever driven a car without power steering, it's a whole other way of driving, okay? But the guy who taught me how to drive <laughs> would drive often with his legs on I-55 playing gin rummy with one of his buddies while I'm sitting in the back and we're going to the Greyhound races in West Memphis. That's my dad. So I thought, well, I'll just show you a picture of my dad. <laughs> there he is. That is like July the 4th of about 1989. Brenda is so pregnant she could not come on that trip. I have been restoring that Golden Hawk Studebaker for almost a year. To include, they came for Christmas, and I had to hide the bumper under one of the beds because I knew if he saw the parts... I had to move the car somewhere else. I mean, I've been working on that thing because years and years ago, when he first started as a trooper, back when the cars had three on the column and the, the siren was a button like the dimmer switch on the young people, the dimmer switches, you know, brights and dims, used to be down on the floorboard. And right beside that was the siren button. And he said going through town, shifting gears and keeping the siren moving was really working all your hands and your, your feet to do that, like tap dancing. And there was a guy who had a brand new 1956 Golden Hawk Studebaker who consistently outran my dad and his training officer. And they go through this town. He goes, you knew what time he was getting off work. He said he would rip through that town and they'd be waiting and he would always beat him to the curve. And once he got to that curve, you know, straight away on that... That one had a uh, Packard engine in it from the factory. That's when they had some kind of weird alliance. 
it would just, in fact, when I drove it home, this is the day I'm giving it to him for his 56th birthday. At 40 mile an hour, some of you think, well, that's a preacher story. No, that's the truth. At 40 mile an hour, you floor it, it would bark the tires. Not a lot, but you hear a little, Err! that's how much power it had. So this guy would outrun my dad and his partner. Till one day he came in about five minutes late and the train caught him and he had to pull into a local roadhouse bar. And dad said by the time him and his partner got there, the gravel, you know, the dust was still smoking and that car was parked. And his partner, who had been a B-24 pilot in World War II, uh, little guy, Mosier. I can't remember, Mom, what's Mosier's first name? I can't remember Mosier's first name, but Dad, Bill Mosier. He always thought, thank you, sis. But um, Mosier, little bitty guy, big voice. You know some men like that? He said, all right, who owns the Golden Hawk Studebaker out there? And he said, you could have heard a pin drop in that bar. He said, well, never mind. We're just going to have it told to the local, you know, wrecking yard. You can pick it up next week or whatever. And Dad said they went outside. A few minutes later, a guy came out. That's mine. i got to go to work tomorrow. Please don't tell it. So I heard that my whole life. So first assignment here, one came for sale in the newspaper before they had Internet and all that kind of stuff. Now, why did you tell all that? Because in the irony of police pursuits, it's usually the bad guy who's trying to get away from the good guys. And the irony for us in pursuit of Jesus, he is not trying to get away from us. He's wanting to walk hand in hand with you. He's wanting your hands on the steering wheel as you keep your eyes on the road so you'll do and go and perform the things that he would want you to do as a follower of his. Jesus isn't running away. But how often we grab for something else other than his hand. Commentators abound on their comments on this 23rd, verse 23. You know, Jesus says, you know, if I want him to stay alive until I return, that's the part I don't want you to miss because this is really one of the first times we understand the second coming or a promise of the second coming in this gospel. We knew that he's going to come back from the dead. He promised that over and over he would come back from the dead. But here he's promising us that he's going to come back again. But because of this rumor that, hey, what is it to you if I let him live? There were many uh, commentators who are struggling with, you know, did John die? Didn't he die? Well, that we'll cover more of that next week because verse 24, John reaffirms as he's writing that all these things are true. And by the time he wrote this, he probably was a very old man. But uh, he would die a normal death like everybody else, uh, except for Christ Jesus uh, to come back from the grave. But... Um, in this final verse of us today, I think the thing I want you to focus on is that don't miss, I am going to return. I will return. And your relationship with Christ in this life will determine where, where you stand on that judgment day when he does return. So don't miss. Don't take your eyes off of Jesus and keep your eyes on the wheel. Um, one last uh, I think closing illustration because I want you to know that as you follow him you become his hands and his feet um, in this world in which we live you, you bring the goodness the, you bring the gospel to those that you come encounter with if you will uh, let it flow through you and this happened uh, this illustration I found uh, research it look for a couple points to give it true uh, in 2020 isn't that when COVID hit 2020, 
there was a car dealer in uh, North Carolina that had seen people were, you know, started losing their jobs because they couldn't go into work or the work station didn't want you to telework or whatever. And he said, in Charlotte, North Carolina, there seemed to be a rise in homeless people and people sleeping in their cars. So it was a used car dealership, part of the Kiplin, K-I-P-L-I-N, which I think they're a national uh, car selling group. But he made the decision that he said, when our uh, dealership closes, we will turn all the lights on, and anyone who is sleeping in their car, bring your car to our lot. We will not harass you. We will provide you a safe place with power for you to reside until you can get your feet back on the ground. And there were pictures in the newspaper of one family of nine that were sleeping in their car. I only have a sister, and we could fight in a, in a you know four-seat car. I can't imagine nine people trying to sleep in one car. But the dealership, the, the spokesman for it, um, he said that for him, he was being the hands and feet of God by trying to help people in need. And that's what he said followers of Christ do. They love like they have been loved. They see the need in others and let God's love flow through them as they try to tend to the needy and the homeless and those in outside of the walk and the faith of Christ. So today, I would ask you to keep your eyes on the road, your hands on the wheel, and be in pursuit of the Savior. Because if we will, this church, this congregation, and each one of you will see the difference that will make. Stand as we pray. Father, if there's someone today who's never come to a saving knowledge of Jesus, they've seen the testimony of six people today who have accepted Christ and chosen to follow that profession with baptism. What a witness that is for each one who's here today. What a challenge it is for us to go and tell others about that, even if it's at the coffee pot tomorrow at work and say, you know what, at my little church, six people got baptized. And that will open a conversation. When were you baptized? Were you baptized? Why do you need to be baptized? And all those kind of questions that sometimes we not, may not feel skilled enough to answer. But Lord, that challenge, you'll help us through. Whether it's, uh, let me call somebody and give you some more answers or call this pastor or call this deacon or call this Sunday school teacher or call someone who can help them understand more what it is to follow Jesus. But right now in this service, this is a time of invitation. If there's someone here today who's never accepted Christ as their Savior, this is the opportunity. I'll be standing, Lord, for representing what they can do right here in front of this pulpit to receive them, to pray with them, to ask Jesus into their life. Or perhaps someone, Lord, is here and wants to come and just kneel on these steps or stand by these steps and pray. We have prayer warriors who will stand around them and pray with them together. So, Lord, this congregation, as long as we keep your eyes on you, as long as we keep the hands on the wheel to follow you, we will be successful in your kingdom work. So, Father, bless us in this invitation time. Let your Holy Spirit move and move in a mighty way. For I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.